welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spooky movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Brittany. And we would like to invite you to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. Yes. This week, of course, we are discussing the invitation. Ooh, spoopy, scary, strange, all the things we love. <laughs> yes, it was, It. I love this movie, and of course it is streaming on Netflix right now, which makes it even more awesome. Like, I love yeah. that. It's so easily accessible, so. It is. I think it's been streaming on Netflix since 2015 or 2016, because I think Netflix bought the rights to it. Um yeah. But I tried to watch this movie once before, and there's something that happens in the beginning that really put me and my boyfriend at not at ease. And we were kind of having a weird weekend. So we just didn't like, I don't know what was, I can't remember what was going on, but we just weren't in the mood for like scary. So then we ended up not finishing it and only watching like the first five seconds of it. So then like watching the whole thing, I was like, wow, this was so worth it. Cause it actually was like really good. I really, really like it. Yeah. Um, but I guess, Brittany picked it this week, so I'm going to let her, like, kind of introduce you to the characters. But I think we've agreed we don't want to do a lot of spoilers. And most of this podcast is probably going to be with spoilers because this is one of those movies that it's hard to talk about without talking about spoilers. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, see it. Yes. Um, And I told Katie, I was like, I don't have as eloquent as a... um, I don't have a very eloquent intro this week, but of course, um, the invitation is a 2015 uh, horror film, or I should say, more like a thriller, like a social thriller, maybe is what I would call like it. A little suspense. Bit. It's like a suspense thriller. Okay, and that's what the basic intro for this is that you know, still grief stricken from an awful personal loss, Will and his girlfriend Kira accept an invitation to his ex-wife's Eden's house. Um, and really, that is it, because I feel like it's very hard to talk about this movie without spoiling um, it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I mean, I agree. It's just like, it's one of those movies, the less you know, the better when you go into it. And yeah, so go see it. It's, it's really good. Um, the only thing I will say is, it's definitely marketed as a horror movie, or a lot of people have told me it was a horror movie. I didn't know if the marketing really said that, but I would call it more of a thriller, a suspenseful thing. I think in more of like a, it's like a drama horror thing. So more, it's not quite like hereditary, but more like that, like there's like drama and yeah. that's really the main point. So like, if you're looking for like a slasher film, this is not that. This is definitely not that. So it's it's kind of a slow burn, but it's totally worth the burn, completely, oh, yeah. in my opinion. Um, so yeah, so we're we're just gonna go into spoilers 
five minutes into the podcast. Sorry. Uh, we love you guys, though. Um, if you started following us on Facebook or Instagram, thank you. I started finally using hashtags Woo! because uh, they work. Like, actually, people have been engaging that I haven't seen in a couple weeks. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe this hashtag thing works. I'm very old and didn't realize that hashtags were a thing. Also, like, I was kind of a snot about it. I was like, I don't want to use hashtags. And Brittany's like, do you mind if I use hashtags? And I was like, like, I guess it's something we could do to, like, engage people. Duh. That's me. Um, always, so anyways. I'll, yes. I always heard two shows more than six hashtags. They're like, if you use more six hashtags, you're trying too hard. So. And I have friends who use hashtags. And they're not doing it to be annoying, but they're a little younger than me. So I think it's way more socially acceptable. Like, our age, like, like people that are our age or older, I think we kind of have this view of that's beneath us but now it's not it's not really it's kind of like people that thought rock and roll was stupid like then they're like well this kiss stuff is pretty good i like the beatles and kiss they're great (laughs) um that's how like i am because i have a friend who does that and like their dog has an instagram and like their dog has just got offered like a sponsorship from like an instagram person (laughs) and i was like i mean and he uses hashtags all over that account so I'm like, maybe, and not that I'm doing this for, we're not doing this for money. We don't, oh, yeah. we're not yep. getting paid so at this, this moment. This is a passion project. This is a passion project. But I do want people to engage. It makes it more fun when people engage. We, we had a couple more fan requests to add. So I'm excited. I like getting fan requests. We've gotten like three or four so far. Yeah. You know, that's not too bad. And like, this is episode, oh, I don't even know anymore. We are at 12. Yes, we are. I wrote this down, and I then I forgot I wrote it down. Yeah, this is episode 12. So, I mean, you know, like a fourth of the episodes got a got a fan request. So, I'm okay with that. You're like, yeah. Good, good. good. So, yeah. So, we're going to get into spoilers. And sorry if you haven't seen this movie yet. Um, but you should just go see it because it's on Netflix. And I don't know anyone who doesn't have Netflix if you stream. So, time for spoilers. Yes. What do you want to talk about first? I guess we should, like, do, like, a basic kind of rundown of what's going on. So, the movie, like, literally opens. And what you're talking about, what Katie was talking about is um, there's a very traumatic scene that happens literally, like, in the first three minutes in the movie. And um, lead character Will is with his new girlfriend, Kira. They're driving to his ex-wife's house, um, which is already kind of, like, an uncomfortable social situation probably for a lot of people, taking your new girlfriend to your ex-wife's house. Mm-hmm. We don't really also- know. It used to be his house, too. Yeah, exactly. Which is weird. Yeah, it is weird. We know from a basic conversation with Kira and Will that um, she's remarried and that they she met her husband while they were still married in a support group. So, Which, bad form, frankly. Yeah. Bad form. Exactly. Oh, and he wants to be friends. That's the best part. Oh, yeah. And it's even better because her new husband kind of looks like Will. In a lot of ways. Uh, I guess I don't well you know we don't really see Will that often about so apparently Will had a very hard time I don't know if we want to spoil what well I guess grieving the, yeah. so you find out they, they kind of pepper it through the whole movie which I think is very good is you find out that their son passed away unexpectedly and they both went through a lot of traumatic grieving and that's it seems like maybe she went to the grief group without him, and maybe that's why she 
uh, met her new husband, David, and that's why they kind of got together. Because Will instead kind of just, like, grow his hair out long and he has a beard. But if you see him, in, they do, like, they do a really good job with flashbacks of their life together and of their son. Because, like, they do them, like, if he's in the kitchen, he remembers something that happened in the kitchen. And if he's in the bathroom, he remembers something that happened in the bathroom. And because he used to live there and that's where he lived with his kid, it makes sense that those memories would pop into your head. And they do a very good, seamless, like, introduction into like what happened why they got divorced and stuff um but basically yeah like he looks very clean cut when they're together in those flashbacks but he looks very disheveled so i feel like they look totally different in the present day ones but like when you look back to like what he looked like before they kind of look more similar but he was he's he's gone down it's like that guy that like just doesn't shave for two years like yeah. he just didn't feel like shaving because he was grieving. But he does. I mean, so we we kind of have, like, for this very, you know, brief snippet, we kind of, the, the idea is laid out in front of us. He's heading to his wife's house. They're divorced. But it's like, okay, but, and there's a nice invitation. So they're literally holding an invitation. And it's, like, fancy. It's, like, thick paper and everything. Well, they're busy <laughs> talking. They hit a coyote. And, um, this and is the know, part we couldn't get through. Yeah, I know Katie said that her boyfriend, Tim, had a hard time with this. And He's a gentle course, giant. He can't, he can't deal with that. He really likes animals. And I love them. That's my one thing about scary movies. I do, I do not like that. I feel like kicking the dog or killing the dog is a plot device that you see a lot in, like, scary slash thorough um, movies. I do think there is a logic reason to this decision, though. I feel like, because... He does what I would not have been able to do. Um, the coyote is is kind of stuck under his car. You can see they film it in a tasteful way. So you can see yeah. that it's been hurt and you see the blood and you have the feeling the dog is stuck under the car. The coyote is cu- stuck under the car. And so he takes a tire and iron and puts it out of his misery. And yeah. it gives you the feeling that off the bat that Will is pretty tough. like Tough but also not ruthless yeah like he doesn't want to do it but he can make a tough decision but he also like he's also trying to like save his girlfriend from having to deal with it he's like you just stay in the car i will take care of it yeah and like but you can tell he doesn't want he doesn't take any pleasure in it like it's like old yeller over here like i don't want to have to put the dog to sleep but there's no other choice it's very sad um but it is foreshadowing Um, And then, like, later, David, the new husband, comments, oh, that was mercy. You did a good thing by killing that poor coyote. And that comes to play off way later. But also, like, I was very confused why he said mercy because what it's foreshadowing, I don't really see that it's mercy. Because, oh, hey, Riley. Riley's here. He goes, you're talking about coyotes now. Okay. Hi, Riley. Hey, hey. Special. He just really needs to be part of the the podcast. And Mabel's being like little miss, just Thanks. adorable, quiet puppy. Yeah, exactly. And then Riley is doing the little pitch. Well, I had him in the crate. Please so. come see me. I want to be part of this. Yes, exactly. He's rotten. But yeah, so it does oh, give he's you. Cute, though. Thank you. He, he's cute. He's evil. But I love him. He's mine. <laughs> Um, but he's, wait, no, he's 
what is it called? He's chaotic good. Yeah. <laughs> He's chaotic. Or is he chaotic neutral? I don't know. He I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. He's very, he's very sweet. He's just rotten to the core. Um, and now oh, wait. Kitten. Yeah. Uh, it's Tyrion, right? Hi, Tyrion. Yeah. So I know. I keep putting my face in front of where all the pets want to hang out so I don't look to the side. So, because I don't know if anyone else does this. Maybe I'm just full of myself, but I'm either looking at the person I'm talking to in the camera or I'm looking straight at my own face. I look like, at my face a lot. Like, yeah. I do, but I, I want to make sure I don't look completely stupid. Yeah, because I did look really stupid the first couple episodes that I was like, I look every time Brittany's talking, I'm not bored. But for some reason, my listening face looks like I'm not listening. And I've never been aware of that. Ugh. I'll do this thing where um, when I'm, like, super listening, I lean my head forward because it almost makes me feel like I can hear you better. So I know I do that a lot. Right. Where I'm probably looking at, it uh, looks like I'm looking at the keyboard or something, but I'm actually listening to the microphone a little bit better. So Back to the thing, sorry. Will and Kira get to uh, Eden and David's house, and their buddies are there. And when I kind of, I don't know if you feel this way, Katie, but I, I've heard some complaints about this movie that it has a diverse cast of characters, which is wonderful because it really feels like they're in the Hollywood Hills of LA. And it's like, there's, I feel like there's different body types. There's, you know, the, none of them really look the same. There's like different sexuality, like, you know. Yeah, so, so they've got, they've got Will and Kira. So Will's white dude. Uh, so is Eden, Eden's like very pretty, like mysterious looking femme fatale white lady and david david is michael huisman or huisman not really sure how you say his name he's Dutch. <laughs> and also he was in the haunting of hill house as well yeah. he was on both so i was like oh it's nice to see him like do stuff that isn't well haunting of hill house was nice to see because i didn't really he's really good at Dario naharis but like i always like i didn't hate the character of Dario naharis but i was kind of like I felt like he was a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, I really did. That whole plot line. And then she just, spoilers for Game of Thrones, she just leaves them back in, uh, what, Astropor? Yeah. Yeah, Astropor. I can't remember which city she landed in. I think Astropor. And she just leaves him there. And I was just like, so why didn't we have him if he wasn't going to come back? I I feel like it would have made sense if he, like, came and brought more troops for her, like, in the end. But then maybe the ending would have been different. Anyways, but, like, the actor, I felt like all he ever did was fight and be like, Danny, you're so pretty. I love you. So I was like, can this dude actually act? And then I saw Haunting of Hill House, and he's really good and subtle. And that scene in the first, this is a spoiler for Haunting of Hill House for the first season, where he, you've seen it, right, Brittany? Yeah, I love it. Oh, good. Oh, good. I've I've watched it, like, twice, because you have to see all the hidden ghosts. That's the best part. Mike Flanagan, I love him. He's so good. I I want to do Dr. Sleep on this because I didn't get to see Dr. Sleep yet and I really want to see it. Um, But the first scene where he sees a ghost, that's the first episode, is his character sees a ghost and he sees his, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert for the first episode or else it'll kind of ruin it. He sees his sister's ghost and like he just gets spooked and he does a really good job of getting spooked but not like overacting. He just does a really good job. He's kind of like a dick to his siblings but he learns not to be a dick in the end and he's a dick to his wife too and he's a dick in this movie um but (laughs) they at least explain it so there's there's all the all the white 
people. And then Kira is black. Uh, that's Will's girlfriend. She's so pretty. She's so pretty. She looks like a normal person. Yeah. Like, she didn't look like... Sometimes, like, in Hollywood, there's this, like... Maybe not so much anymore, but there is kind of a push to be, like, super skinny and, like, super, like, Kim Kardashian pretty, yeah. which, no offense to Kardashians, I don't find being so overdone by plastic surgery that you don't look like a human anymore attractive in my opinion i like real looking people kira looks like a real person that you would meet you know and you know what on the street that way i felt that way about claire too the actress that claire Claire. yeah claire so claire's like their quiet friend and then you have gina who's asian and her boyfriend Choi, who's korean um gina might be korean but she didn't say that she was korean i don't know but yeah. she, they definitely, they joke about Choi being the slowest or the latest Korean in Hollywood, yeah. in L.A., because he's always late for everything. And then they have Tommy and Miguel, who yeah. are a couple. And so they've got, they, it's very diverse. I love it. It's nice. But it doesn't feel like, I feel like we're listing these off and it sounds like everybody's a token character. That's not what's happening at all. Yeah, it's just like everyone it. seems like people. Yeah. They don't push. They make one joke about somebody being Korean, and that's not even, like, about him being Korean. It's just, like, he is Korean. It's like if someone said, Katie's the dumbest white girl in all of L.A. Yeah. I can't deny I'm white, you know. Exactly. Um, it's, it's not something... They feel like people. It doesn't feel like they're trying. Uh, so it doesn't... I feel like they... Personally, I feel like this was a blind cast movie, and they just probably... They may have tweaked some things in the script once the actors were cast, but I don't. I feel like when the auditions were held for this movie, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they just chose the people best for the part. Yeah, and uh, so the director's name is Karen Kusama. 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 K U S A M A. I love her. I started watching a bunch of stuff, like interviews with her, and she said something really cool. She was doing a master class at the Athena Film Fest. That's on YouTube if you want to watch it. And she was like, "I feel like." Like, one of the reasons, like, one of her first big movies was Girl Fight, starring Michelle Rodriguez. It was, like, her big breakout film before, I think, before she did The Fast and the Furious. Or maybe it was after, but this was, like, the first thing she did that wasn't The Fast and the Furious. Um, Because Michelle Rodriguez is a good actress, but she does get cast in a lot of, like, dumb movies. Like, sorry, Fast and Furious is kind of a dumb movie. The whole series is kind of just dumb, but that's why people like it, because they can turn their brains off. It's fine. If you like that, I'm not going to judge you. Anyways, but Michelle Rodriguez, like, she was, like, I specifically, like, they wanted to cast a white actress. They didn't even say who it was, but she was, like, no, I feel like you need, I want this for a Hispanic actress, because as women and as people of color and people that are underrepresented in Hollywood, if you don't see yourself in, as representation in film, you're never going to picture yourself becoming part of that. So she's like, I like writing vehicles for people who like are women or persons of color, not just because they're a person of color or they're a woman. It's not, she's not doing it as a token thing. She's just like, I would like more representation. So I feel like she's more of the person who does just like colorblind casting. Yeah. Probably genderblind casting in some cases where she's just like, you know, whoever's the best for the role. And those are the kinds of castings I love because yeah. if you're open to people looking differently, you can really luck out. Because, I mean, there's shows that I've been in where, like, people weren't cast because of their looks, but, like, they would have been so much better than the person who was cast, even though the person who was cast 
looks perfect. They just didn't fit the the role. And it's not even that person's fault. But when you just focus on talent and, like, who can bring life to each character and who, like, actually, you know, fits with this character, it's amazing. Now, there's exceptions. I mean, I think there's a place for that, too, because I think if you don't write... Well, if, if we didn't have people like August Wilson writing plays for specifically black actors and directors, we probably wouldn't be... Ha- we wouldn't have as many black people in theater and movies because, you know, so there's a place for it, definitely. Yeah. Like, like I think Raisin in the Sun is an amazing play, and I think it's great. Again, I will never be in it because I don't fit that type. I'm not black. That's okay. Yeah. That's fine. It, but I, I, I don't like- know. I enjoy neutral casting yeah a lot i feel like there's no reason why in modern modern movies unless it's specifically focusing on some kind of character's heritage or their journey there should not it should be blind casting because we live in a world nowadays where we see we see um interracial couples or we see gay couples and you you I mean, it would make more sense to me to set a movie in L.A. with a diverse cast than to set a movie in L.A. with a bunch of white people. I mean, you could, yeah. but I, I, will, I think there's tons of diversity in L.A. Um, I think there is, too, because yeah. everybody goes there for acting, just like New York City. They need all types of people, and there's tons of people that are from all different backgrounds. I mean, if you were making a movie that was in Holland yeah. in the 1700s where there's only white people, yeah, don't cast a black person as the lead that'd be kind of weird if you're being historically accurate there's other things like um like hamilton for instance not in a bad way but lin-manuel miranda had a message he went to say about immigrants specifically from the caribbean and south american countries and like southern like from and central america i was like what is the term for the part between America and South America. It's Central America. I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. It's been a long time since geography. He specifically wants to focus on that group of people in the world and in America. So he definitely had an agenda that he did. But I feel like if the if society changes in the future, or like let's just, I don't that show I don't think really makes you have to cast anyone in a certain race, but it's like you're pressured to. Which I kind of, like, I don't get it. I'm kind of like, because I'm Little Miss, like, can't we just all get along? And who cares what anybody looks like? Let's all be in the show. So, like, unless you're doing Hairspray, then you absolutely have to have black characters playing, black actors playing the black characters and white actors playing the white characters. Because it's really messed up when you're doing a play about the civil rights and then all your black characters are played by white people. Which the people that wrote Hairspray finally came out and said, you cannot do are musical if you don't have enough actors to play the black roles. Yeah. You can't do, because people were doing that. They were like, we're just going to wear like yellow shirts and then all the white people will wear blue shirts and it's fine. I was like, it doesn't really translate though. Just pick a different musical. But so like, you know, there's differences. But like, I, I have a little bit of a problem when they call Hamilton like, you know, colorblind cast. I'm like, it's not though because you're not going to see a white person be Hamilton, even if they're the best person for the job, because that's not the message that he wants to portray. And that's fine because it's his play. I can respect that, though. And the and the reason I say that is because there's just not enough roles on Broadway for people of color. Like, I think oh, there of- aren't. Yeah. Like, most of the time, like, a black actor comes and is like, 
I want to be Elphaba in Wicked, and who cares what race I am because you're going to paint my skin green anyway, so it doesn't matter what race I am. And then people are like, no, 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 we need a white girl for this. So, like, I'm not saying change Hamilton for me. I'm just saying, like, I'm sure it's a twinge of jealousy on my part because it's a really good musical. And I, like, I can never be in a Lin-Manuel Miranda musical because he doesn't really write musicals for white people unless I want to be a bad person. And I don't really... Like, I don't want to be a bad person. I want to be a good person. I don't know. It just makes me sad because I like the music and I'll never, I'll never be able to be in it. But again, that's just me. And that's just my own selfish wants and desires. And I'll probably take this part out because I don't know. Anyways, blind casting. I like blind casting shows and musicals. And I like this because nobody feels like a caricature. It's not like, it's not Will and Grace. Sorry, and, Will and Grace. And I love it. Will and Grace. And you know but everybody's what a caricature. I've heard a complaint about, I've heard a few complaints about this movie where they're just like, well, we don't really get to know uh, the characters. And I don't know if it's like the theater background in me, but I was, I felt like I was easily able to fill in the gaps. Like, I didn't feel like, oh, I didn't know anything about, I feel like there was tens of, like, little bits of information, like where they mentioned, they're like, oh, like, or who Gina, you know, sleep slept with in college. And even that kind of throwing, right. I was like, oh, they must have went to school together. Like, maybe this is how right. they know each other, you know? Well, and, like, th- there's very, like, if you listen to the movie, like, there's little snippets, like, like, Miguel is a um, paramedic, I think. And they talk about, like, his medical, is it, is it Miguel or Tommy that's a paramedic? I will say this, the lighting's kind oh. of dark in this movie, and... Yeah. The first time I watched it, I didn't even know Tommy's name because he was barely in it until, like, the very end. I was like, oh, yeah, Miguel has a boyfriend. I forgot. Because, like, they don't – Tommy doesn't have a lot of lines. But when he comes in, he becomes a really big part of the movie later on. And that's when – and the director said because they – so, literally, when they filmed this movie, they had uh, a million-dollar budget, which is very small for movies. They had one house. That they filmed everything. And they had an actual house they filmed at. They had 20 days. Or two months. Maybe it was two months. Two months to film this movie. So they had to choose. Because of the physical restrictions. They had to choose. Who um, the camera was focusing on different points. So it's a party movie. Because they're going to a dinner party. So people are constantly having conversations. That you can hear the whole time. Which is very realistic. But yes. she has to shift the focus, and you're really following Will's focus, um, which I kind of like because you do feel like you're at this dinner party, and you kind of are seeing it through Will's eyes, which I like. But yeah, if you listen, you can hear them talk about, like, Miguel's a paramedic, and then, like, they ask him something about medicine later. And so, like, it does come into play, and Gina's, like, joking about her boyfriend. Was it just me, or the way Gina was sitting the first time when you walked in, I thought she was pregnant. Like, she was sitting, I think maybe she had a, I I meant to look at it closer, the first time I thought she was, like, pregnant for, like, the first five minutes of the movie, and then, like, she started drinking alcohol, and I was like, what's going on? And then I saw her stand up, and I was like, well, she's not pregnant, because then she starts asking for cocaine, and I was like, she's a really bad expectant mother, and then I was like, oh, she's not pregnant, oops. Like, I don't know why, it's like, the way she was sitting, maybe she was holding something, but you know when you first see a movie, you miss stuff. And I was like, is she pregnant? Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, what is going on? So I thought it was funny. But I liked everybody. No one felt like a caricature. 
it wasn't like watching Will. And, I'm sorry, Will and Grace. I really liked Will and Grace, but the more I look at it now, it does feel like a caricature of gay people. Outdated, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love the old series. I haven't watched the new series because I liked the way the old series ended. I thought it was a beautiful ending, and although I love all the people in it and I want them to work. I don't really like seeing old TV shows to be brought back up. Like, I was not there for the Roseanne redo. I didn't understand why they kept it when they fired her. I was like, I don't care about these people because we already finished their story. We don't need to keep doing this. But anyways, it's not a caricature. Everyone feels like real people. And it feels like a very natural friend group. Like, everybody knows each other except for the outsiders. And apparently... A lot of them had worked together in different projects and in like theater projects. A lot of them had theater backgrounds. But the interesting thing is there's two outsiders in the group and they hadn't really worked with anybody. They had worked with the woman who played Eden, but they hadn't worked with anyone else. So like it actually was like a real dynamic, which you can really tell. Like everyone seems comfortable with each other. But then when the outsiders come in, it's like, oh, what's happening? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Um, it definitely puts like a energy in the room that's different yes so yeah so they get to the so will and kira finally get to the party yes and eden and david are hosting but first they like reconnect with all their old friends and everybody's like oh my god everyone had a bet that will wouldn't make it for one and uh i don't know about you Brittany, but i got the creeps from david like from moment one Oh, yeah. He's very, him and Eden. So with Eden, you can kind of understand because her and Will were married. But David's very touchy-feely with Will, too. Like, he holds his, like, face. Yes. It's that weird, like, you know when people hug you, like, slowly? And then they just hold on to you too long? And you're just like, what? Are we we banging later? What's going on? I don't know. Like, you're like, I don't understand where the thing is. Like, when it's one thing, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a different hugger, but when I see yeah. someone I haven't seen for a long time, it's like a really tight, quick embrace. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I'm so glad to see you, and then I'm done. Not these weird, I don't like slow hugs. So, know. Taylor, it reminds me, uh, so when we were watching Outlander season two, uh, you you get to meet Bonnie Prince Charlie, and Bonnie Prince Tar- Charlie always touches Jamie's face, and uh, Taylor was like Taylor was like oh my god when they hit him like it's just like yeah he yeah. annoyed me <laughs> yeah like so, he was such an annoying person <laughs> yeah I did not like him you know, the actor reminded me of the guy that plays Moriarty on Sherlock it's I'm, not I don't I, think but yeah. have you not seen Sherlock <gasps> oh it's worth it for Moriarty and Benedict Cumberbatch and oh I can't remember his name but you know who that guy he played yeah. Tim in the British office. Yeah. What the hell is his name? <laughs> He's great. Martin. Martin. His name's Martin. He was in The Hobbit. He was The Hobbit. Yeah. He was The Hobbit. He was Bilbo. But I honestly don't. Um, what is Martin? Freeman. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. That is his name. I'm sorry. That was going to drive me up the wall because I've watched so much stuff with him in it. Except The Hobbit because... Sorry, Peter Jackson. I don't want to see three movies of one book. Yeah. Why? I heard, I mean, it must be really stretched out and boring. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I have to watch the actual Lord of the Rings movies in, like, sections because they just go on for too long. Like, I just get real tired. 
I'm like, I'm going to watch the Mordor scenes tomorrow, I guess. Okay. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Back to the movie. Yeah. So they get there and they kind of reconnect. And, you know, it's obviously just a little tense. Just a little tense because, of course, like this was um, Will's old house. Um, His wife still lives there. But um, he explains to Kira, he's like, her family had money because, of course, it's a gorgeous house in the Hollywood Hills. And he's like, but never really felt like home to me. And, um, yeah, and he's noticing some things while he's there. He's like, oh, there's some bars on the window. And, you know, Eden goes, well, yeah, you know, I was here by myself, and I was kind of scared. So he's noticing some different things around the house. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, and then, like, David locks the door and takes the key out of the lock. And he's like, which I've never understood houses like that because I've never, well, okay, no, you know what? my house does that too you can take the key out and lock yourself inside we did that actually to somebody accidentally we had friends staying over and we didn't know they had to leave earlier they didn't know they had to leave early and they didn't want to wake us up and they couldn't get out of two of the doors because of how the locks work and when I texted them afterwards I was like are you guys okay and they're like oh yeah we just we had to meet our parents earlier than we thought so we had to leave and I was like, by the way, we were not trying to trap you in the house. We just didn't want to wake you up. It was very funny. Um, but, yeah, I can never understand people that, like, completely lock their themselves in unless, like, it's just the two of them. Like, at a party, that's really weird. And he, like, locks the door. And yeah. then there's, like, tension. I like that about this movie. There's a lot of tension and then resolution of tension, but then it builds again. There's a, it's a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, and that's what I liked about it, too. And Will, like, calls David out on it, too, because he's like, uh, why are you locking the door? And they're like, well, yeah. you know, there's a there's been a burglar. And, it, and I think it was so funny because he was like, and it, there's some comedy, but it's not like, to me, it's very easy comedy. So it's, mm-hmm. it's funny, but it's not like it's hitting you over the head funny. Because, yeah. you know, David goes, well, there was, you know, a couple that were terrorized in our own home and we're paranoid, so we locked the doors. And David goes, I haven't, or no, Will goes, I haven't heard about that. And I think it's Miguel that was like, oh, okay, you haven't heard about it, so it didn't happen. Like, Yeah, that was pretty funny. You know, I like, so, yeah. I like Miguel and Tommy because they, well, Gina does the same thing. They're very honest in their reaction about what's going on in Eden and David's life. I'm like, I feel like I've been at this dinner party. Um, but yeah. Go ahead, Brittany. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, oh, it's okay. I was just listening. That's my that's my listening face. It's probably the raised <laughs> eyebrows. I do a lot. Um, and he just kind of, so Will's just kind of reliving some things in his home. So he goes to the kitchen and he kind of remembers that Eden has suicide temp. And uh, he goes back into the living room and they're kind of, I, I, this movie, there's a lot of like, it's very slow build. So sometimes I feel bad because when I'm talking about it, I know I can, I, I'm kind of interchanging events in my head, probably out of order. But they go into the living room again and they're kind of like, oh my God, Gina's like, you're a part of a cult. And that's when they're like, well, no, it's not. It's well, this not- is after she slaps um, their Oh, friend. shit. Thank you. Oh my God. Yeah. Thank you for me at Yeah. She like, so at first, yeah. Eden just seems creepily happy, but it's like, well, Maybe she's just putting on a face because they've gone through this terrible thing. She's trying to be friends with her ex, which also, like, that's scary. But, I I mean, like, I think about they seem to have been married for a very long time because they all have the same friends. I'm like, if me and my boyfriend of 10 years broke up, God forbid, even though, like, I've never been friends with an ex, I would be like, I mean, I wouldn't want to, like, he's my best friend. So I would be really upset if, like, I had to cut him out of my life. So I'm like, at first I thought, 
wow, this is so mature. They're trying to be friends. That's great. So I was like, oh, this is like, but then also she's just really creepily, um, like too happy. And she's yeah. also like dressed all in white. She looks gorgeous, but she's just, like all in white. And I'm like, unless it's your wedding day or it's like summer, I don't understand when people dress all in white. But I mean, I think there's a symbolic reason for that. And this um, is but yeah, she slaps their friend who's joking. Yeah, and I don't mean this in a rude way, but I actually made this note about the actress who plays Eden. She's, like, very beautiful, but she's almost like a... I don't mean this as an insult. It's almost like a strange beautiful. So, like, when yeah. her, when she makes certain facial expressions... Like, ethereal. Like, yeah. ethereal. Like, very, like... like. Remember that season of True Blood where Marianne Forrester was there and she was, like, that goddess... I can't remember what it was, but she reminded me of that lady, like very ethereal and ethereal, however you say that word, and very like, like strange, but beautiful, like unique, like otherworldly. Yeah, she's definitely like otherworldly. I think that would be a good way to describe her too. And so she's talking, thank you for reminding me of that scene, because I was just like, what the fuck, when it happened? Yeah, now Uh, I can't remember their friend's name. That's like the only friend. What was his name? Ben. Ben. Ben's, like, the goofy guy. He, like, starts in, like, hey, Will, we ruined a business together. Ha <laughs> ha. Like, he's just, like, the goofy, fun friend. And he's joking around because she's, like, oh, I found inner peace. All that grief was just tearing me up inside. It's gone now. And he's just, like, what did you shit it out? And she slaps him. You hear it. Yeah. And, uh. That was weird. I was like, I don't think I've ever slapped a friend. I honestly think that this movie um, is like a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost like a, um, uh, shit, like, I don't want to say discussion, that's not the right word, but it's almost like a something, like something about social, like social cues, uh, social anxiety, um, it if definitely you, is. Yeah. yeah. It's also like it's it's both an exploration of grief and grieving and also like when do you stop being polite and yeah. is politeness going to get you murdered? Exactly. Because like I can That's count. kind of like, what the director said too. So I think you're on the right track. I can count like multiple times in this movie that I'm like I think I would have left. Like if yes, my friend yes. had slapped That's me. That's what the actor who, said, who played Will said. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was good what you were saying. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. You're good. You're good. Because I was just like, you know, if my friend slapped me, I think I would have left the house. I would think I was, you know, in my head, I'd be like, I don't want to do something brash, like hit you back. So I'm going to leave now. Um, yeah. So, and I mean, but then again, when you're in the situation, do you feel obligation? You haven't seen your friends in two years, which is another thing. They haven't seen them in two years. It's like, do you feel obligation to stay? And Eden literally walks the fuck up to Ben like a minute or two later. And she goes, you should be over it. I'm over it. Yeah. And you're like, you just slapped him. Like, I don't like that. You just slapped him. Yeah. So the, so the director said in an interview on, I can't remember what the podcast was. It was like, but it was like on YouTube. So it wasn't, completely a podcast but anyway she said on the interview like the character of will like the the actor was like i would have left at this point i will left at this point and she's like but would you have because think about it so often we get ourselves in situations where we don't want to be rude so we just stay there like 
the podcast uh, Crime Junkies is always like, stay rude, stay alive. Because it's like, and same thing with uh, My Favorite Murder. Like, their big thing about their book that they wrote was like, fuck politeness. Fuck it. Yeah. Because if it's going to get you killed, who the fuck cares? And that's like, sad. That's sad, though. That's something we're exclusively taught as women, too. If we want to stay alive, it's like, Ted Bundy lured women to his car because he wore a cast and said he needed help carrying things. Like that shit. I'm not helping you carry your things. Fuck you. So, like, fuck politeness, to quote my favorite murder. If you haven't listened to that podcast, you should. Fuck politeness. Because, like, I just, like, I have to be polite at work. But, like, sometimes it's just not worth it. Like, in my personal life, I'm going to be nice to everybody. But if you, if I feel creeped out by you, I'm, I'm gone. This is something else, and Katie, you've probably experienced this in your lifetime, too. Off topic, on topic, do not message a woman that you haven't talked to for 13, 14 years and then tell That's her... about the time frame. Yeah. Oh, I always had a crush on you in school. I was too nervous to say anything. Oh, I hate that. I mean, don't it's very it. sweet, but why don't, don't you say anything? Don't do it. And especially if you see she's in a relationship, definitely do not shoot your shot. Um, okay, so sorry. Back to the movie. Where were we? Wait, so, yeah, so Eden's like, you know, don't just forget it, Ben. I've already forgiven it. And, you know, they hug and they go back in the room. And, of course, Gina's like, they're part of a cult. And David's like, oh, yeah. it's not really a cult. So, meanwhile, I think at this point, Pruitt has shown up. So, Sadie's already there. Sadie and Pruitt Also, are- Sadie's, like, yeah. randomly bottomless. Like, yeah. it's one of those houses in California, like, where they have, like, kind of, like, the house wraps around, like, the backyard area. I think they have a pool. So, it's, like, wrapping around the backyard area. So, like, you can see the other side of the house from the, like, living room. So, he's, like, looking across the courtyard. And he just sees this girl with, like, no bottoms on. Like, I mean, it's, you don't see anything because it's in shadow. But she's obviously, like, half naked. And it was, like... Well, that's weird, because they haven't mentioned that another person is here. The only person they're missing is Gina's boyfriend, Choi. And he's like, who the fuck is that? And then she just shows up. Oh, and also David's pouring this really fucking expensive wine. And he's like, we shouldn't waste any time drinking this wonderful wine. And I'm like, oh, what is going on? Something's weird. It's just like, I get weird bad vibes. So Pruitt comes in. Played by the guy that played Norm Gunderson in um, Fargo. He also John Carroll Lynch. John yes. Carroll Lynch. He played Twisted yes. Clown in season four of American Horror Story. So he was- <gasps> That's who he was in American Horror Story. I saw that he was in American Horror Story and I couldn't remember. I was like, I don't recognize his face. Yeah, I think. Does that makes sense. Yeah, I think he also um, did. One or two other like minor character roles on um, American Horror Story, so I think he's becoming one of their cast regular cast members. It's just he does more minor roles on the show. Yeah, he also does like um, he was. I think he's Drew Carey's brother on the Drew Carey Show as well. Oh, so he's been he's like he's he and Toby Huss, who plays Doctor Joseph, the cult leader. Mm-hmm. Um, have been working in Hollywood for a very long time. Toby Huss, you'll recognize because if you watched Pete and Pete, he was, is it Artie or Archie? The the guy that's Pete's best friend, but he's an adult, but he's oh. like a superhero. That guy, that's Toby Huss. Oh. And, um, but he also did a lot, a lot, a lot of voice work on um, a lot of um, 
uh, King of the Hill and oh. Mike Judge Productions. So he's been working at he's been working in Hollywood a long time. You you'll recognize Toby Huss when you see him. You're like, oh, it's that guy, or you'll recognize his voice. If I ever made it acting, that's the kind of acting I would like to be. Was like, I have money, like enough to be comfortable, and I have a career, but I don't want to be crazy famous because exactly. No, thank you. Yeah. So you know, tell your friends about this podcast, but don't tell too many people. Because yeah, we don't want to be too famous. If we were famous enough, we could just do the podcast for a living. That'd be pretty cool too. So that is my goal for life. And as Georgia Hardstar said, like literally this week, because she just turned forty, she said, "Your twenties are figuring out what you want to do with your life. Your thirties is making it happen, and your forties is enjoying it." So I got yeah. nine more years of my thirties that I gotta make it happen. So and I got nine more years starting this Saturday. So yes. <laughs> Brittany's birthday's coming up. But yeah, but they, um, so they're like, well, you know, actually this thing is called the invitation and we want to, we want to talk to you guys about it because it's important to us. They don't say it exactly like that, but I'm paraphrasing what they're saying. That's (laughs) when everyone goes, oh, that's the name of the movie. (laughs) Until you see the movie, you don't know what the actual meaning of the title is. And, but it's not like, it's not overly convoluted. It's not like mysterious. It's just like, oh, it's a nice little, it's a Oh, nice little touch. And and it's like, what I like is that I know a lot of people are like, the cult doesn't make sense. And I'm like, cults don't make sense. Like, they just do not make sense. I'm sorry. Do That's- people really say that about this one? I don't understand that because it seemed perfectly like, it looked like a Scientology, like, recruitment video. Like, have you guys seen those Scientology? Remember, like, a couple years ago when Scientology was, like, showing YouTube ads? It was mm-hmm. really weird. Um, so does the Mormon church, which I always find weird when religion has to advertise itself. It seems weird. And like, Jesus probably wouldn't like that. Um, but anyways, but Scientology was having some like commercials and I was just like, I don't know, like when they would start, I'd be like, I don't know why I feel uncomfortable, but I feel uncomfortable with this commercial. What is this? And then at the end, it was like, this is the church of Scientology. It's like, oh, there it was. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry if you're a Scientologist, but it's it's a fucking cult. So, yeah. I, allegedly a cult. I do not want to get sued. I'm so, we should not say anything bad about Scientology because they will sue you. Uh, allegedly, allegedly, Scientology is a cult. Yeah, and I know... But this I, is what I, this reminded me of. I always had questions about it based on what I've read, and I'll, and I'll leave it at that. But what I like... Well, I think I can understand about the invitation. And so their cult has this kind of process behind grieving. Um, and it seems like most of the members, at least at least three of the members that we know for sure, and spoiler alert coming up, is Pruitt, Eden, and David have all lost someone very close to them that they loved. And so it's kind of like a cult that can lead you for your griefing process, releasing that grief and realizing you will be connected together again in an afterlife, which to me, it makes sense because, and this is a very controversial statement. I'm going to lay it out there, but I feel like that's why a lot of people actually believe in some form mm-hmm. of religion yeah. is because it gives them hope for an afterlife. And yeah, so, I mean, it makes sense. Like, yeah, I thought it was interesting that the movie, okay. Also, so this movie was written, like, 
they wrote it they worked on it for like eight to ten years before they actually produced this movie i think and so oh and by the way it's written by the director's husband and his writing partner apparently the director's brother died when she was very young um so and she also had a friend in college a very close friend die as well and i think i didn't hear about but like all three of them the director and the two writers all have experienced loss at a very young age and like very unexpected loss and so they were kind of feeding off of that and like like can you tell someone what's the right and wrong way to grieve because most people are like you can't tell me how to grieve and that is that is true to a point but like there are points where your grief some people's grieving processes become very dangerous and i thought it was interesting that this movie like is talking about cults and grief because there's another movie that talks about cults and grief that came out several years later called hereditary yeah and i I don't want to accuse Ari Aster of anything because I really like his writing style and his directing style, but it did seem kind of weird. Again, not accusing. Is it just a coincidence that this movie came out first and then Hereditary is about grief and, um, and cults? Or is it just that it's easy to put cults in a movie about grief because a lot of people who are grieving are easy to take advantage of because they're in a really bad mental state and they're kind of lost and those are the kinds of people that cults feed upon are people that are lost like you look at heaven's gate uh even the branch davidians especially the manson family they took people that felt that they weren't there's a lot of manson family like people are like "Ooh, that sadie girl that the pantsless girls they're like oh she's kind of like a manson chick like there's a lot of like references to manson family stuff so like i don't think it's a i don't necessarily think Ari Aster saw this movie and was like, I'm going to write this, but put a different spin on it because the cults are very different. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting that they both have this theme of like guilt and what's the right way to grieve? What's the wrong way to grieve? How does grieving go too far? And also, can you, in a social situation especially, tell someone what it's like to grieve and when is it you need to mind your own business? Yeah. Because that becomes a big thing because Eden and Will share a child and they both lost that child. So they have the same grief. But then Will's like, David, I can't, you can't tell me how to grieve about my son. And I can't tell you how to grieve about your wife. But then also my grief. Yes. And then like, but with his wife, he's like, he doesn't like the way she's grieving because they shared the same grief. But also, even if you lost the same person, everyone's going to grieve differently. And having like, I lost a friend when I was, very young and then like recently last year uh, a very close friend that was very close to me and my boyfriend and is my best friend's boyfriend he passed away really unexpectedly at a very young age and like it's been kind of a weird process if you're grieving and you need to cry or you need to eat 10 pounds of ice cream temporarily yeah. or uh, as long as you're not hurting someone I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. Now, if you start self-harming or harming other people, yeah, I'm going to tell you, like, we need to find a better way. But personally, crying for me helps. It feels like what Will, too, um, I mean, we don't know for sure what David's wife, what happened. Um, But what Will's and Eden's son, we do know it's a very sudden, it's a very tragic, 
death, and it's an accidental death, but it's a violent death. It's impl- it's heavily implied that another child hit him in the head with a baseball bat. Yeah, but they don't. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't come but, right out and say it, but I think that's almost better because it's not really important how he died so much as like, yeah, like that it was an accident, that it was unexpected, and that it kind of disrupted yeah. their life because that would. I mean, yeah. my my friend's parents when my friend died, their parents broke up for a while and they had another child yeah. who I think it was really hard on her which again because she had passed away I hadn't really seen him for a while but my sister was still close with her sister and like they kind of like took a break for a while and they'd been married for like a couple like almost 20 years at this point they did get back together and I hope they're still together I don't know anymore but yeah. you know it's hard losing a kid that's probably but, one of the yeah. hardest griefs and with Will, I think, you know, there's a very much idea behind this character that if he, if he has that grief, it's him holding on to his son. Versus if he lets go of the grief, he's letting go of his child. And that's where, you know, Kira even tries to tell him, you know, like, it's okay, you're not letting go of him, you know. And he's yeah. like, you can't, you can't tell me what I'm going through. Um, and I always heard this saying that, you know, when you're... When you lose a spouse, you're a widow. And when you lose a parent, you're an orphan. But there's no word for losing a child because it's the most horrible thing that can happen. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, I think that's worse. Like, I don't know. I I was there and I definitely hung out with them. But, like, having a friend die, like, I don't know what to tell their parents. I don't really know what to say. Because it's 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 not like when your grandmother dies, it's really sad. Like, my grandmother died this last year, and it was really, 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 really sad. And it was awful, but we were kind of expecting it. Yeah. And she was, like, 89, so she had a very long life. You know, when your friend who's in their 30s dies, or your friend who's 13 dies, there's not really a thing to say about. It's just like, and there's a really good scene with Will and Gina where she's trying to apologize. Because she's like, I'm so sorry I wasn't really there for you, but... I thought you needed space. So like, I didn't say anything, but then it was like too late. And I like, I feel like that, like there's friends that I've had that like, I haven't seen them for years and then something bad happens. And I'm like, I want to say something, but I feel like I haven't been friends with them for such a long time. And so sometimes like, I won't say something. And that's the wrong way to say, I think anything is better than nothing. Yeah. And it's hard. I, I very recently, um, it's another social situation thing. I had a friend from high school, um, and she had her first baby. And um, the baby was born with a illness, and her, her child lived for just a couple months. And I have ran into my friend out of the blue. And, of course, we were Facebook friends, but I hadn't seen her in person for a while. And, of course, I was thinking about her child, but I'm like, do I want to bring up her child to her? Because how do you even do that like oh I haven't seen you in the flesh in seven years and I'm sorry that your your child passed away um I didn't want to say that and so we were very politely talking about things and then she just kind of made a throwaway line where she's like yeah you're looking great I still need to lose the baby weight and you know and it kind of struck me and I told my mom afterwards I was like should I have mentioned her baby and mom goes, people, when people lose someone, they don't want that memory to be gone. They want to talk about mm-hmm. their love. And even, mm-hmm. if they cry, even if they cry or they feel upset, it's better because that they're, they're, 
it's being the knowledge that that loved one assisted versus not assisting at all. Yeah, it's totally okay. Like, and, you know, I think it is, everyone's different, but I think that's a lot of the tension in this movie is like, nobody wants to talk about, the child's name is Ty, and nobody wants to talk about Ty. Yeah. But then everyone also, like, want, there's this tension, and then whenever you've ever been in a situation where, like, you know, especially Facebook nowadays, like, you know that somebody's, something happened. Like, I have friends who, like, they got a divorce, and I know it because of Facebook, but they haven't actually told me personally and I'm always like is it okay to talk about it like because you didn't personally tell me but then also like I think a lot of people think it's a little easier for them to just put it on a social media account because they don't have to tell 5,000 people like this terrible thing happened so I don't know I do think like there's this tension it's a real social thing that like not saying something is only it almost always makes it worse. So it's better just to say the wrong thing. Yeah. Because most people will be like, well, they meant well. If you do mean well. You know. But, yeah, it's interesting. So they, they join the cult. And the weird thing about the cult is they're showing. Oh, this was cool. So um, they show this recruitment video of the cult in the video. And it shows a woman actually dying. Yeah. And how the whole cult is like, oh, I feel her spirit. Which is kind of weird and awkward. And you get a lot of very honest reactions because the director actually, like, filmed that part before all the other actors came to set. So, because uh, they did everything chronologically when they filmed it. And none of those actors had seen the video yet. And they actually showed the video while they were filming. Because a lot of times, like, you won't see the video and people just be reacting to nothing. And then they'll add the video in later. But she actually had them all watch it in the room while they were filming so, like, it was actually their genuine reactions to that moment. And it's interesting because, like, some people are like, oh, that's beautiful. But other people are like, that was very weird. I really didn't want to see somebody die. Yeah. And, like, the first time I watched this movie, I was kind of like, well, this is weird. But, like, I would just, you know, be like, well, that was a fucking weird party afterwards. But, like, when I watched it the second time, I'm like, okay, this is when everyone should have left. Because, like, obviously there's something afoot. With people taping a death and then, like, trying to use it as a recruitment tool. Like, that seems really weird. Yeah. Exactly. So. And there's also a line that David said that I didn't I didn't really think about till like, the second time I watched this movie. David goes, you'll be surprised. He's like, there's there's people everywhere, thousands of them, actually, that are yeah. part of the cult. Yeah. And I, was, and yeah. I didn't think about it the first time. But the second I, time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? I was well. The first time I heard that line, I was like, oh, so it is like Scientology. And the second time, I was like, oh, that explains a lot more. There's all these little clues peppered in the whole movie, yeah. which is what I like. Is that it's very like easy to follow along, and I like the clues. And yeah, it's very good. Um, but like the second time you watch it, you catch a lot of stuff. And also, the movie moves pretty fast the second time. Yeah, I thought um, that too. Like I was like, oh, is it already at this part? Oh, my gosh. But, like, the first time you see it, it is a slow burn because, like, David, not David, Will keeps thinking this is really suspicious. And he'll, like, say something about it. He'll be like, why are you locking the door? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And, like, Claire gets really uncomfortable because they they decide to play this game. It's, like, never have I ever, but it's called, like, I want. And, like, people start asking for blowjobs. And the Sadie girl kisses Gina. 
And then Pruitt gets up and gives this long monologue about his beautiful artist wife and how he accidentally punched her to death. Yeah. And that's where, and he went to jail, but he was still the same person until he went to the invitation. And like, Claire's like, okay, I'm uncomfortable and I'm out. And it's like, Will's watching from a window. Yeah. Like, because he's like, do you want me to walk you to your car? Because he does not trust the situation because he's afraid. Like, every time someone left the room, I was like, oh, my God, someone's going to get murdered. Oh, my God, someone's going to get murdered. Oh, my God. Like, Gina goes to make a phone call earlier in the movie. I was like, oh, she's dead. But then she came back. So the movie really, and I hate using this phrase because it's been used to death about a certain Star Wars movie. But it does subvert your expectations because, you like, I almost thought it was going to be, like, a Ten Little Indian situation where people just get picked off one by one or like clue where like you just find dead bodies but no 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 all the violence is very upfront and all happens kind of at once which makes the build-up so much better because like you'll have these little build-ups where like it's about the door and then like the tensions relieved and then like will gets more suspicious and he like sees pruitt walk claire out to her car and like he's like what the fuck's going on and then david kind of like fights with him and then it kind of goes away and then there's a whole thing with Choi, where Choi's still missing, and because they don't have film... I don't understand why they don't have film reception in the Hollywood Hills. Someone said that in a review, and I was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense, because everyone would have film reception in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. Unless there's something I don't know about Hollywood. But, like, why wouldn't you have cell reception? It's a bunch of rich people that live there. It's not like it's in the country. You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. So they don't have cell reception, and their phones don't work. And... I love this about Claire leaving because it's one of those things that Claire is so smart and there is some differences in the original script from what I've heard. But, you know, with Claire, it's like she trusts her instinct and she left a situation where she wasn't comfortable. And, and she's also, she also does it in a very polite way because she's uncomfortable because everyone's talking about sex stuff and doing drugs and she's a very, like, conservative individual not like conservative politically but she's just one of those like sweet quiet people and she's just like she's like you know what I just I don't think this is my scene and I don't want to ruin anybody else's good time so I'm just gonna check myself out of the situation which sometimes like I think I told a story when we watched climax where I went to a party that I had no idea people had dropped a bunch of acid right before I got there and I don't want to judge people who want to drop acid because it's your body your rules just be safe but, like, I didn't feel comfortable in the situation, so I left because I, you know, like, when you're at a party and you don't want to be the Debbie Downer, but you also, like, feel uncomfortable, and you're just, like, sometimes you just gotta leave. And it's better to, like, leave than, like, get yourself in a situation where you do feel uncomfortable and maybe make a mistake or or do something you are gonna regret. Because you yeah. know your own boundaries. If If you're not comfortable with, you know, doing something, don't do it, you know? Exactly. And I feel that way too. And the older I get, that's where I just kind of like, I try to like, even if it feels awkward, like I'll tell my friends, I'm like, you know, if you don't want to come, like, like I have a friend who I invite her to my birthday. Like if we do something for my birthday, every year I invite her. And like, I know 90% of the time she's not going to come because it's just, she's not a sociable person. She doesn't want to be around big groups of people. Like, I'm like, you know, the invitation stands. I'd love to have you there. But if you don't want to come, you don't want to come. Um, right. So, yeah, do what's right for you. Do what feels good for you. And your real friends are going to love you anyway, so. Yeah, like, it's fine. Yeah, so Claire leaves, and I assume Claire was fine because we don't see anything. So, good for Claire. And then, like, it becomes the thing, the new thing Will gets obsessed with. (laughs) 
is there are these pills he finds because he goes kind of snooping around. It is his old house, so I kind of understand that. Like, if somebody was else was living in my old house and I was there, I would want to see what they did. But he's also kind of worried because Eden's acting really weird. And, like, he has a conversation with Ben, like, has she been like this all night? And she's like, he's like, yeah, she's fucking crazy. And then, but you also overhear this conversation between Kira and Eden where she asked, has Will been like this so aggressive? So, like, she's doing this whole culty, like, mind flip, like, oh, he seems really aggressive, when actually he seems perfectly normal. Yeah. Um, and he finds these pills, and he asks his friend Miguel, who is a paramedic, you would kind of overhear that he's a paramedic, he's like, what are these pills? And he's like, it's like a really old-fashioned barbiturate, and they've been in Mexico for two years in their cult, and I'm like, well, that makes sense, because if you're in, like, if, if you're getting drugs illegally, you're probably getting very old drugs. You know, yeah. like that have been on the market for a long time, especially if you're getting it in a different country. Because sometimes I mean, there's a whole like episode of Arrested Development where Will Arnett's character keeps going to get forget me not pills, but they're like roofies. But he keeps going to I think he goes to Mexico to get them. I could be wrong, but I feel like he goes to Mexico because he's trying to speak a different language and he like misunderstands what they are. It's a very funny thing. Anyways, but he gets like old roofies. So. And then, like, Miguel's trying to be funny. Miguel or Tommy? I can't... Maybe it was Tommy. No, it was Miguel. Because they don't tell Tommy about the pills quite yet. And Miguel's just like, oh, like, they, he thinks you guys are on pills. You know, figuratively. And so it's like, oh, no. Shut the fuck up, Miguel. Yeah. And then... It's just like, it just keeps getting ratcheted up. And then, like, so at first... What's the next thing that happens? Will's, like... He's suspicious about the pills. Yeah. And then they're suspicious about the invitation because then they're like, are you trying to recruit us? What the fuck's going on? And then at some point, Will gets really angry. I think they start fighting about, like, what's the best kind of grief? And that's when, like, he and Kira have this conversation where she's like, I want to help you. And he's just like, I love you, but I really don't think you can help me with this situation. And I I think that's really true because a lot of times you can be the best, most supportive person around, but sometimes supporting your partner is letting them figure things out for themselves. Yeah. Because if you make the decision for them, it's not going to be their decision and therefore it's not going to help the situation. And you can't force someone to just get over their grief like that. They will figure it out eventually. And all you can do is be there for them. So like, whether that's calling them, texting them, or or literally being there. And I think he also says something that really stuck in my mind. And I, I don't know if you got this, Brittany, but, like, he says something like, ever since the day Ty died, I've been waiting to yeah. die, too. Yeah. Because, you know, it's he, he wants to be with his son. He misses his son. And I think it's very interesting that when... The die is cast and he does have the opportunity to die later in the movie. He does not take that option. He chooses yeah. life. And I think that's kind of the moment where he doesn't, you never, you never stop grieving your loved ones. Um, there's a great quote from rabbit hole, which I, I, this also felt like rabbit hole with cults, by the way. I love yeah. rabbit hole. I, I've always wanted to do that play. It's such a good, it's a good, it, they made a good, decent adaptation of it too with Nicole Kidman. Um, but there's the the mother character, her son died of like a, so the mom character in Rabbit Hole, the older, the main character's mom, her son died of a drug overdose when he was like an adult. And 
the main character's son died in like a tragic car accident that was like completely an accident and she doesn't think her she thinks her grief is different than her mom's grief because she's like my son died was a kid and died of an accident and your son you know killed himself with drugs but like eventually like they kind of figure out like grief is grief doesn't matter how someone died or if it was their fault or if it wasn't their fault it's still grief and the mom says something about like it she's like does it the she nicole kidman's character asked like does it ever get better she's like no you just learn to live with it like it doesn't go away grief does not go away but eventually you come to a place where you can live with it uh and just babadook vibes too a little bit yeah i mean like i really like i don't know i was getting like I really like Rabbit Hole. I got, I did a monologue from it in college and got really obsessed with that play and I've always wanted to do it. So if anybody, Brittany, let's produce Rabbit Hole. <laughs> let's go do that. Cause I've always wanted to do Rabbit Hole. Um, it's such a good play. Um, if you haven't read it, read Rabbit Hole. It's really good. But um, I, yeah, Baba Duke too. Like there's a lot of exploration of grief, but I did like get Rabbit Hole cause it was like a little boy that died too in Rabbit Hole. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole rabbit holes really it's if you ever have gone through grief, please either watch or read rabbit hole. You might cry a lot, but it's a very good exploration of like what happens when it's nobody's fault. And there's no it's almost worse when it's nobody's fault. Like yeah. having a friend who two friends who have died from diseases that no one could have prevented or stopped like it, it's the hardest grief because you just like there's nothing you could have done and there's nothing they could have done and you want to put blame somewhere but you can't and that's why I think a lot of people that lose children very tragically or even just loved ones they have a really hard time moving on because not even moving on but just moving forward I don't want to say moving on I want to say moving forward yeah because again you don't ever really like leave that grief behind you just it gets like easier to carry around with you which I think is almost a direct quote from rabbit hole because it's become ingrained in my brain because when i read that i was like that is so true and that's kind of what happens with will is like he has been existing like obviously like i kind of the only negative about this movie is i wish we knew more about kira and will's relationship i think we found out enough about the friends and even though they do have that really good scene in the garden where they're talking about grief and stuff and she like i really like the actress who plays kira i think she did a really good job um, although you don't see her that much at the beginning, you yeah. don't only see her until the end. And then she, she and Tommy, like all of a sudden are like main characters, but I kind of, I wish we had like a little more of like maybe a flashback to like him grieving and meeting her or something yeah. like just one. Cause I, I felt a little like, are they dating? Cause he kind of like leaves her by herself for most of the party. Yeah, and yeah. I know it's not her friends. But I was like, Kira gets the best girlfriend award because you brought her to a party full of strangers. She's polite and engaging to everybody. She, like, thanks Eden, her boyfriend's ex-wife, for having her. Like, she's like, thank you so much for having me. She's such, like, the nicest person ever. She's also concerned about you when you have your little freakouts. And then, like, she kicks fucking ass in the end. So, like, Kira gets the MVP award for this movie. Although Will, Will, Will did try. Will, Will did a good job. But Kira yeah. gets the MVP. So, oh, yeah. So, dinner. So, they have dinner. And Will finally gets a... He's, like, he's like feeling, like, really anxious. And he goes out and checks his voicemail. And he finally gets signal. And he has a voicemail from Choi, who's been missing yeah. the entire night. And he says... 
oh, I got here early. I'm heading into the house. And then. He's not well, there. Well, so the whole time he's not there. So Corsac's just like, he's just done. So they go in and it's like, they made a birthday cake for Miguel. And it's like not even Miguel's birthday for another week. And they're celebrating. Oh, that pissed me off. I was like, oh, fuck. No, 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 no. You don't celebrate a birthday a week early? Yes. Oh, no. Why would you want to celebrate a birthday a week early? Yes. Wanting to kill everybody. Anyways. Exactly. And so that's where, you know, he's like grade A paranoid. He's like yelling. And he's causing a scene. And even Kira's like, you know, maybe our... Um, She's like, maybe we should leave. Maybe we should leave. Um, and you know, Will just throws a damn fit, and then Choi just walks through the door. Like, well, actually, he knocks on the yeah. door, and then he just like walks through the door, and they're all like, they all kind of look at Will, like, and you know, Will, God bless him, he's so embarrassed and apologetic, and so upset, and I mean, just about crying and to add insult to injury david's like it's okay man like you know and you're just like david shut the yeah. fuck up like <laughs> i know i hated david and i really like that actor but fuck you i hate david i hate prude and i hate sadie i hate all of them eden i get eden yeah. i understand because she doesn't seem to be completely in it she yeah. seems to need more convincing than the other three which i found interesting because you you do see that when the tables turn that eden's really not okay with what happens she's really not okay and she's just she's still lost even though she says she's fine which that happens a lot with people um but yeah so will's like oh my god i'm so sorry and then he leaves for a second he comes back oh he he finds a video yeah he asks to see ty's room yeah he goes to his son's room and he like lays down the bed and he's remembering him and he's feeling really sad and then he comes across this laptop that has this mysterious message from Dr. Joseph, the cult leader, that's like, I know you're going to be, like, nervous about actually doing it, but all will be fine in the, you know, we'll meet together soon, which it doesn't really straight out say what's going to happen, but it's yeah. kind of obvious the second time you watch it. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is weird. Yeah, and also I want to bring up, too, because we forgot to touch on it. So earlier in the movie, while, you know, Will's creeping around his old home, he sees David go outside and light a lantern, like a red lantern. Yes, which I missed both times I watched it, but I read the synopsis, because you see the red lantern at the end of the movie, and I was like, I missed both times him lighting it. I think I was, like, writing notes about something else, and I, like, was like, when did he light the lantern? Because, like, at some point he did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's a red lantern he lights too. And then oh, this is probably my favorite. This is like, you know, when like you just don't trust a situation, but yeah. you don't want to, like, sometimes you just got to trust your gut and fuck politeness. Well, Will fucks politeness. Oh, he because does. All of a sudden, instead of pouring wine from bottles, the pill poppers are have wine in a carafe and they have these tiny little glasses. They're like, we're all waiting for you, Will. And I was like, oh, that's never good when people say that like that. And they're all like going to toast. And then poor Gina decides to sip it before the toast yeah. is done. And which you should never do. Cause Will finally like just snaps and he's, he's just starts smashing everybody's glasses and it's like, yeah. stop it, stop it. And then Sadie's like, you ruined it. And like attacks oh. him and he accidentally knocks her out. And I love this because there's this whole distraction. It's because you are literally fucking shook. 
when this happens. <laughs> yeah. So like, so like Sadie's on the ground and Miguel is looking at her because he's a paramedic and someone's like, call 911. And it seems like Will has once again fucked up, a to- like his grief has made him like mess up this normal social situation. Everyone's staring, well, like, what the fuck did you do? You like knocked her out. She's bleeding. And then all of a sudden you hear, oh my God, she's not breathing. And Miguel's like, no, 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 Sadie's breathing. She's fine. She's she's just unconscious. And Kira's like, no, 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 Gina's not breathing. And Gina's like, eyes are wide. And she's like foaming at the mouth and not breathing. And so oh. Miguel goes to try to resuscitate Gina. And then, I don't know, do you want to say what happened next? Oh my God. So yeah, he's trying to resuscitate Gina. And this is like the moment as the viewer, you are just like, okay, this is really fucking happening. Like, you know, this whole time you're like, is Will losing it? No, he's not. This is happening right now. And, of course, like, David comes up behind Miguel and just shoots him in the fucking back. Or the Pruitt does. Yeah. No, no, no. David shoots does. Miguel. Okay. And then Pruitt takes the gun away from him like he's trying to de-escalate the situation. And then he shoots Joy. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then. And everything slows oh, down. God. I'm yeah, like, everything slows down and everyone's trying to like, like, Kira and Will are smart because they try to just back out of the room. And Will's like, well, I used to live here, so I know where all the doors are. Yeah. No, 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 The fucking culties have locked all the fucking doors and barred all the windows. And so they're running around the house trying to find an exit. And this is, somebody was like, well, why didn't they just go out the backyard? Somebody pointed this out when I was looking at a review. And I was like... Because they tried it, and Ben gets fucking murdered, like, right by the pool. Because, like, Ben goes the wrong way, and they're like, Ben, come with us. And he doesn't hear them, and he goes outside, and then he gets, like, killed. And, yeah. like, Kira sees it, and is well, they both see it, but she's, like, really messed up about it, of course, because you would be. And then, like, Will, like, at that moment, he's just like, Kira, we are going to get through this. They are just people. They are yeah. nothing but people, and we can do this. So, like, it's, like, when he, like, is determined to, like, I choose life. And they don't, they're not, like, that, that dramatic either. Like, I like that about this movie. It's, like, in a real situation where this happened, like, if you were, like, in a bad situation like this, you wouldn't, like, come out and be, like, I have chosen life. You'd just be, like, you know what? Just we got to do what we got to do to survive. And that's what he said. So, you think Tommy, I think, oh, no, Tommy's fighting David. Tommy like got and Tommy, Tommy got sliced with a knife, so he's kind of... You think Tommy might be dead. And Sadie is back, and Pruitt's fine, and Eden's fine, but Will and Kira are trying to sneak out to find a place upstairs that he thinks might be open. And Eden's, like, freaking out, because she's like, this wasn't supposed to be like this. We weren't... It wasn't supposed to be like this. It was just supposed to be a beautiful, wonderful thing, and... The thing that bothered me was, like, they're, like, it's mercy. And I get that David's grieving and Eden's grieving and even Will's grieving and Pruitt and Sadie. But what about all their other friends? Why did they have to take all their friends with them? Like, that seems kind of weird. I guess it's because, like, these were the people that are actually closest to them. And it's kind of like a pharaoh thing where, like, you got to take those closest to you with you, I guess. It's just really stupid. Which, you know, call back to Under the Silver Lake, I guess, with pyramids and taking people with you that don't need to die, too. Um... But then, like, so Eden's, like, obviously Eden had reservations about this. Like, she obviously chose poison because she was, like, it'll be calm and, like, it'll, like, everyone won't know what's coming and it'll be great. 
And David's like, no, no, we got to do this. We got to do this. It's fine. And he takes, like, the gun. And Tom, oh, I can't remember what happens first. I think. I I don't know what happened. I'm so confused even the second time watching it. I know Sadie's been definitely injured with a fireplace poker, but I don't know who injured her. If, like, that was something Ben did off screen. But they get the fireplace poker from Sadie. Yes, and then they're going upstairs, and then, I, yeah, I think they see David and Eden having this conversation, and then they stumble upon Pruitt, and Kira kicks Pruitt's ass and, like, kills him with a fire poker. Badass. Yeah, as a defending Will, which I thought was yeah. really cool. Oh, because he shoots Will in the shoulder. Yeah. In the Thank God it's the right shoulder, not the left shoulder. So he shoots him in the shoulder, and so... Kira just like takes it upon herself to like protect them and she does and so then they go they find the gun but the gun's empty now but they don't yeah. say it they're like David we have a gun because I know Eden's not really oh maybe Eden already shot herself at yeah. this point Eden no, shoots Eden, herself by the way Eden shoots, Eden shoots Will so Pruitt that's goes what to... happens yes yeah. okay sorry Eden shoots Will and then she shoots herself and yeah. drops the gun and then they kill Pruitt sorry or they kill Pruitt before and anyways so now there's like no there's no bullets left, but David and doesn't keep know in that. Mind, keep in mind, guys, this is the last. This movie's about an hour and 40 minutes. This happens at, like, the 26-minute mark. Everything starts going down. So it's, like, like hour, hour 20. Yeah. Yeah. Like hour, yeah. You have, like, 25 minutes left. And this is yeah. just, like, most of the movie is just, like, an awkward dinner party. And then all of a sudden it's just, like, oh, fuck. So, yeah, so Eden shoots herself. Like, she shoots Will, and then she shoots herself. And then she's kind of, like, dying. And then they... Tommy is still, he's still there. And he, like, attacks David and has to stab him with a butcher knife. And I don't really blame him because David fucking killed Miguel. Like, an asshole. Poor Miguel. Miguel was just trying to save somebody's life. That pissed me off. I was like, fuck you. Miguel yeah. was trying to save Gina because you fucking dick. Anyways, I don't like David. Uh, I But I, I dislike David less than I, like, dislike Pruitt and Sadie. Sadie didn't even say who she died. I feel like Sadie just, like, was on the bandwagon. Yeah. You know. Anyway, so yeah, so David's dead. Eden's dying, and but Eden does say she's sorry. She's like, "I'm so sorry." We and she asks if they'll take her out to the backyard because that's obviously where Ty died. Because you see flashbacks to the birthday party, and she does that. I think she's trying to say she's like, "I wish," and I feel like she was like, "I wish." Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, it's obvious that she feels like she just says like she missed Ty so much and like you yeah. understand where she's coming from even though her actions were wrong you're like I get that like you were just lost in grief and this person took advantage of you that's like a lot of cults when they do violent things you're like this person was having a really tough time and somebody very manipulative took advantage of them but then the best part I don't know if you want to tell this part Brittany since it is your movie yeah so they pan out it is amazing. So, you know, they're in the backyard. Eden does say she's like, I miss him so much. And, like, it's like Will, I feel like her and Will almost get closure in that moment because they are able to share in that grief one last time and admit that they both loved and missed their child. Ian passes away. Um, and, you know, Ben's there. Poor Ben's like, I got to go inside. I got to get Miguel. No, no, Tommy. 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 Ben's yeah, dead. Tommy. 
Woo, Tommy, Tommy and McGill. Sorry, Ben's Ben's been dead. He's been killed by Prue and David, which is sad because um, his wife didn't come to the party. She's babysitting their kids. That's what I was thinking the second time. I was like, oh god, they're gonna have to tell his wife. I think her name was like Amanda. You have to tell yeah. Amanda that Ben got stabbed to death. I know it's awful, but there you feel like Will and Kira are connected at this point, and then Will sees the Red Lantern, and then. He looks up and there's just like this expression on their faces. And, you and the see- best part is you hear sirens and you think yes. it's just coming to their house. Yeah. But you, you pan to the Hollywood hillside and there's red lanterns lit everywhere. And helicopters and screaming. And apparently there really were thousands of people in the invitation. And I like that they stop there because like they're not going to over explain it. They gave you enough information. They're like. There are a lot, it's like if all the Scientologists in the world or all the Mormons in the world or all the Catholics in the world decided to murder everybody, like, it would be kind of, like, fucked up and weird. But, you know, you can be like, well, there are that many people living in here, so. And I remember the very first time I watched this movie, and I don't know, this is a really morbid thing to think of, but with the screaming and the ambulances, it's like, well, how many people carried out the invitation in how many different ways? I know, like, do they all have to do it by poison, or did they, it didn't sound like it. No, I don't think uh, so. Yeah, it was, it was, it's a good movie, and it is a slow burn. I had, you know, I really liked it. I liked how it ended. I liked, I, I think, I thought it was really good. I did not think it was boring. Some people were, you know, if we're going to go, I guess let's go likes or dislikes, because we'll need to wrap it up probably in the next 30 minutes. But, um, like, if there's a dislike... The only thing I really think is not likable is I do wish we knew more about Kira and Will's relationship since it's the one that ends up together. Yeah. Like, we knew a lot about Eden and Will's relationship, but it would have been nice to know just a little bit more of Kira's relationship. So she didn't just feel like, she didn't really just feel like a girlfriend character, but I did feel like I wish I knew just a little bit more. Like, I don't even think she says what she does for a living. So that would have been. She's a nurse. She's a nurse. Oh, okay. She's a nurse's a nurse's assistant, and I caught that the second time uh, I watched it, where she said she was a nurse's assistant. She was like saying it. The camera's focused on um, Will as he's walking around the house. You can hear in the background, and she's actually the first one to start to assist Miguel when he's doing. Yeah, um, she's yeah. like that's she's the one that figures out that um, that Gina's not breathing. Yeah, so that makes sense that she noticed it then too, because like. I, it was the two of them were trying to save Gina, and I was like, I was like, well, Kira's really observant, but if you're if you've worked in medicine before, you can probably tell. And you um, and I and I was really thinking the second time I saw the scene where he gets shot and everything goes in slow motion, it splatters over Kira, and she recoils in horror because she's the one closest to him while he's doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think yeah, it's a really good movie. Uh, is there anything you like that we haven't mentioned so far? No, I think we covered everything. I, what I love about this movie is that it's, it's smart, but it's not too smart. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not above anybody's head, but it's also not giving you all the answers right away. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times, not all, not the directors we really talk about, but more mainstream directors assume that audiences are idiots, and so they spoon feed you all this information, especially in horror movies, and it gets really boring. 
because like you can't think about the movie and this is like they give you enough information like that the cult's like a doomsday cult that uh everyone's gonna try to murder their friends and the red lanterns and that's called the invitation and all that stuff but they don't tell you like how it got started or exactly what the rules are or anything like that it's just like it's enough information but not too much information just like they tell you that Ty da- died. They oh, Ty died. Hmm. They tied passed away, um, and they tell you like that it was an accident, but they don't like show you the entire like scene of him dying and them rushing with the hospital. Like there's this terrible movie called Gotti, and like it's about John Gotti and John Travolta starred in it, and it's really not well done. Um, also, the guy from Entourage directed it. The guy, the really short guy who was also in... I can't remember the actor's name. But he was also in uh, He's Just Not That Into You. Uh, he directed it. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't yeah. do a very good job. Um, but, like, there's this whole thing where, like... Uh, John Go- In real life, John Gotti, one of his sons, was hit by a drunk driver when he was riding his bike and died. And he was very sad. They show the drunk driver hitting him. They show them go to the hospital. They show this doctor, like, over-dramatically, like, telling John Gotti played by John Travolta that your son has died and he's like grieving but then like in the next scene like his wife is grieving and he's like nope nope that's it we're done we're done it's like they give you too much information but then they don't give you enough information about things that really matter like I want to know about people's like emotional states and what's going on and like the suspicion Will has but I don't need to know everything about the cult like I I just need enough information it was kind of like hereditary like I, I feel like hereditary should have told me like a little bit more about like payment and their little cult but they did a good job of, like, you know, planting the seed. And one thing I really liked about this movie, by the way, was, like, visually, you know, they only had, like, one house to film it. It's like they had a bunch of, like, cool things to do visual effects. But they used a lot of mirrors. Yeah. And, like, windows. And there's this one scene where Will's, like, in the bathroom. And the way the angle in the mirror hits him, it looks like there's multiples of him. And there's, like, a lot of, like, mirror image stuff. And I think they did a really good job, like, because it's, like, the duality of everybody at the party. Because everyone has, like, a public face and a private face. And especially the duality of, like, Eden and David. Because they put on this beautiful, happy face, but they're actually grieving inside. And I thought that was a really cool way to tell that. And I also liked how seamless, like, like if Will's in the kitchen, I think I already said this, but, like, you know, the seamless interaction with the flashbacks. Because they didn't yeah. really seem, like flashbacks it wasn't like a big flash of white and a whoosh kind of thing it was just like oh I'm in the bathroom so I'm remembering that time I was taking a bath with my wife and my son walked in and it was really funny and embarrassing like it's very like it's nice also I I very much like cult movies and we just watched like two cult movies but this one did it better yeah like this one was way more interesting and you know I think it was found flicks it's one of those YouTube channels that always... I've never really watched a review of theirs until just now. Because I was curious what they had to say about the invitation. Um, but it's one of those movies that all of their like thumbnails are like... Their channel is like... Ending explained. And I was like, why? Like, I was curious why we need the ending of the invitation explained. Because it was not yeah. obvious. But it was like... I mean, it was obvious. But like, in a, like it's well explained. Nobody needs to like explain it to me as i noticed what a lot of channels say ending explain they just give the whole movie synopsis 
Yeah, and it's just a clickbait. Anyways, but I've been seeing this guy's like it's it's a popular YouTube channel, and I'm not trying to send hate to this guy. Do not bully this man or send him any hate. But he did not like the movie because he's like, it was so boring. And I was like, it was not boring if you yeah. like you have to think of it as like a drama. And that's what like the director said, like, because they shot in chronological order, like the first two weeks of filming was just like it was like filming a drama. There was just all this social tension. And even though everybody knew how the movie was going to end, like, that's not how you play it. If you, if your character doesn't know what's going to happen in the end, you can't play it that way. So it was just like filming a drama about a dinner party. Like, you know, like the beginning of Clue when everybody's, like, really, like, nervous and, like, stiff and, like, stuffy and, like, suspicious of everybody. And then murder happens and it gets crazy. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't, there wasn't really much I didn't like about this movie. But I guess the only thing I didn't like was, like, I wish we knew more about Kira. But everything was so good in this movie. So I was just really surprised that someone was like, oh, my, my mic just dropped. Oops. Uh, I thought it was weird that someone thought it was boring. Because I did not think it was boring. I do think it's a slow burn. But it's only an hour and 40 minutes. So it's not like you're sitting there for three hours with a slow yeah. burn. So, Yeah. I, yeah, I just, and also, like, by the way, the reason, like, the marketing so mysterious is because Drafthouse Films, who produced this, was, like, we want to go, like, psycho. Because, you know, like, the movie Psycho, like, the marketing was, like, don't tell anyone about the twist. Yeah. Because if you know the twist to Psycho, it's not as fun. But, yeah. you know, it's still good. Yeah, I think that's really, like, I think we've touched on everything I want to say. I, I would give this, like, a good, solid eight out of ten yeah i don't I think with that. yeah it's it's not like a ari aster robert eggers like a masterpiece of a movie but it's solid and it's just this beautiful little movie and i hope more people see it because it's really really good also i didn't know this because i haven't seen this movie but i was wanting to see it and i haven't watched this but the guy that plays will was in that upgrade movie that came out last year <laughs> I've heard nothing but good things about that movie. I know, but like, I just haven't seen it yet. And um, he was apparently also on the OC, but I didn't watch the OC, so I wasn't sure what character he was. I was like, interesting. But he was on it for several years, so he must have been like a recurring character. Um, yeah, I think I said everything. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Solid, 8 out of 10. Did you have a rating for it? Like a I, title? I did. I, um, I said D for Disaster Dinner Party. I had two uh, rated D for don't drink from the carafe <laughs> and rated N for never be friends with your ex. Well, the, the disaster part is like, is it a disaster because it's a cult or because Will is losing his mind? Is that like, what, where is this going? True. I think we're going to go with disastrous dinner party this time. The The violence is very minimal. I would give it, yeah. like, a, like, a three out of five. Like, it is kind of abrupt because, like, everything seems fine and then all of a sudden there's violence. So you think you're getting through the movie and there's no violence and there's a lot of it. But nothing's gross or over the top. There wasn't, like, a hereditary moment where someone's head was sawed off. It's very realistic. And acting... I. A lot of people were, like, quote-unquote unknown or, like, someone like Toby Huss or the guy that played Pruitt were, like, you know their faces. I think unknown actors, like, emerge you in the story more because you're not, like, oh, I'm watching uh, Jennifer Aniston have this experience. You're, like, oh, I'm watching a person have an experience. So, yeah. I really liked it. 
I, I got a, a real theater vibe with it, but I think that's part of like having one set and having like an ensemble. Like, it's like sometimes movies can be really boring if they're in one place, but this movie moved around the house so much that you didn't feel like you were just in one place the whole time. It felt very dynamic. Um, so yeah, highly recommended. Also, if you want to see any more work by Karen Kusama, uh, she did Aeon Flux, which I did not see, but it was a big blockbuster movie. Girl Fight, which was her original one. She did one of the, which I've seen parts of these. It's like a trio of horror movies called XX. It's like two X chromosomes because it's a woman. Get it? Ha ha. Uh, they're not great, but I think hers was one of the stronger ones from what I heard. So, you know, she did that. And then she also does a lot of television. She did a bunch of episodes of The Man in the High Castle and an episode of The Outsider, which I loved. Yeah. So she does a lot of really good stuff. And she did Jennifer's Body too, which I would yes. say may be her well, her most well known film. And maybe Eon Flux, but I mean, I'm, a lot of people know Jennifer's Body, uh, which was a movie way ahead of its time when it came out. Yeah, I was telling Brittany like it's one that I I always wanted to see, but then I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be. Like it seems like like the way they marketed it. I think turned a lot of people off because it seemed like it was supposed to be a horror movie, but then there was like the way people were acting. I was like, so was it a bad horror movie? So I just turned my brain off and didn't want to watch it. And then like later on, I was like, no, apparently it's like a dark comedy too. So like, it's satire too, which is great. It's what? It's a satire. satire, Yeah. And I'm not a huge Megan Fox fan personally. Like I don't hate her or anything, but like, I don't, I've never seen a movie with Megan Fox that was like, well, it was great. Like, I didn't like the Transformer movies. They're kind of boring, and I feel bad for her because, like, I feel like she's always, like, um, not, like, people, like, what am I trying to say? Objectify her in a lot of movies that she's in. Yeah. I'm curious, like, I don't know. She just doesn't spark confidence in me. But she's very pretty, and I would like to see a movie where she, like, is it being objectified? Which I think is part of the satire of Jennifer's body. It is, yes. I like that this director writes parts for people who don't usually get represented in Hollywood, but without making it a trope or a token or just, like, a caricature of a person. I, I think I wish we had more writers in Hollywood that do that because I feel like, yeah, we've had a lot of movies where there's a lot of really good, like, characters in horror movies, but other than Get Out and Us, which we haven't done yet, but I want to get to doing, like, I can't think of one that has, like, people of color in it that aren't friends. Yeah. And maybe it's just because of the movies we've picked so far. Yeah. A bunch of white people movies. You know, I did finally watch Moonlight, which we talked about. We talked about last week. I don't know if we're going to keep it just because it didn't really fit the movie. I just went on a tangent about how good Moonlight is. That's another movie where it's like they wrote characters, not caricatures, and I appreciate that. Oh, definitely. Uh, but also, the person who wrote it and the person who directed it is black, so I think that made more sense. I think this lady, like, I just like that she doesn't really. She includes everybody in her movies. Also, usually she has a female protagonist, and this is like one of her only movies that has a male protagonist in it, which I found interesting. But I, I liked seeing it through Will's eyes, and I think because her husband and his writing partner are both male, I think. That's probably why they wrote it that way. Um, so we do have to pick another movie. It's your turn. I know. So I was struggling. Okay, so 
we decided to do something a little lighter because we did two cult movies in a row, which, well, I won't say anything about this too much about this movie, but um, we're actually going to do Jeremy Saulnier's, I think it's his debut film. If not, it's like his first most popular film. Uh, it's his first like feature film, I think, called Murder Party from 2007. It is on Netflix US right now. Um, it's by the same director who did Green Room and Blue... What is the other one called? Blue Ruin. Yeah. Which Blue Ruin's really good. But they're both really depressing. And, you know, Murder Party's got a little more funk to it. Um, but the cool thing about Jeremy Saulnier is him and... Uh, he's the main character in Blue Ruin, but I can't... And he's in Green Room, and he's in Murder Party, but he's not the main character. Um, they've been friends since high school and they've been, or since I think middle school, like they grew up together and they've been making films together and they do like everything together. And so it's like very independent movie, but, um, just really good quality. And, uh, I really enjoyed Murder Party. It's a fun little romp. And the premise is basically a guy gets an invitation to a Halloween party that he doesn't know anybody at. And he decides to go and kind of, he's like a very like boring dude. And he tries to shake things up a little bit, and it gets a little kooky. It gets, it gets real kooky. It just it goes off the rails. It's really good. Um, but it's a little more funny, but it's still got horror movie elements in it. Yeah. So, not trying to sell it too hard, but it's really good. Um, and Jeremy Saulnier is honestly a very, very good director. He actually directed the first couple episodes of the third season of True Detective, the one oh, with okay. Mahershala Ali. Yeah. So, uh, his, I mean, I really think his style kind of comes through in Blue Ruin and Green Room a little bit more. This one reminds me, like, Shaun of the Dead. Like, true horror movie, but lots of comedic moments, so it's a little more lighthearted. Um, but it's not quite an homage to horror movies like Shaun of the Dead is. Um, although I love Shaun of the Dead. Um, but I think that one's been done so much. Unless we did the whole trilogy, I don't think we'll do Shaun of the Dead by itself, because... Everybody, if you haven't seen Shaun of the Dead, you should see Shaun of the Dead. Like, seriously. Yeah. Um, okay. But with that, I think we're going to have to let everybody go. So we're going to head out. Um, go see The Invitation on Netflix. And then watch Murder Party on Netflix. And then we'll see you next week. Watch yeah. some movies. We love you. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Instagram. And we do put some things on YouTube. But I fell behind on uploading our episodes to YouTube. So... We're a little bit behind on that, but hopefully I'm caught up by the time this episode goes. And happy birthday, Brittany, because Brittany's birthday, it will be gone by the time this move, this one comes out. But Brittany's having a birthday. Ooh, which means it's Katie's half birthday, so. <laughs> We're like, our birthdays are six months apart, exactly, but different yeah. years. So yes. A little bit older. Just a just a little little bitty bit older. You were I guess you were like lifting your head up and shit when I was being born, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was basically me. Like <laughs> well, Okay. Yeah. Well you you mofo stay spooky. Uh we look forward to seeing <laughs> Stay spooky, y'all. I started signing off on the blog Stay Spooky Y'all. I think I wanna keep that. <laughs> It's spoopy, y'all. It's spoopy, y'all. <laughs> Have a great night. We love y'all. Love you guys. Be safe. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> the Grindhouse Girls podcast is a 
production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty-free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.